and welcome to She Thinks, a podcast where you're allowed to think for yourself. I'm your host, Beverly Hallberg, and on today's episode, we discuss election security efforts with a focus on the newly formed Election Integrity Caucus in Congress, which is co-chaired by today's guest, Congresswoman Claudia Tenney. Representative Tenney was first elected to serve in the U.S. House in 2016 after winning one of the most expensive races in the nation. She was elected for a second time in November 2020, and what was yet again among the most expensive and competitive congressional races in the country. She is an accomplished attorney and longtime small business owner, and she graduated from Colgate University and the Taft College of Law and the University of Cincinnati. Representative Tinney is admitted to the bar in New York, Connecticut, and Florida, and all federal courts, including the United States Supreme Court. Congresswoman Tenney, it is a pleasure to have you on She Thinks today. Thank you so much. What an honor to be on. Great show. I love the title. And something that has been consistent in U.S. elections for the past decade that is a bipartisan concern is a growing distrust of our election process. In 2016, there were individuals in this country who struggled with believing that Donald Trump was president. Now you have in 2020 people um, struggling to believe that Joe Biden is the real president. I want to just start with that is where does this concern for our election system come from? And is this a newer concern that Americans have? Yeah, it's an excellent question, and uh, actually it goes back to the 2000 election where people still contend that the Supreme Court handed the election to President George Bush, and we know that's not true today. But it is something that's critically important, and let me preface the whole problem with this idea, which I think is why people don't have uh, the real understanding of how important their right to vote is. We are a self-governing constitutional republic. And if you ever were a studier of Lincoln, our, one of our great presidents, uh, first Republican president, one of the things he uh, thought about and contemplated in all of his writings and, and during the really difficult time in our country was, can we be self-governing? Can we do it? And, you know, that challenge is here today. And the question is, why don't people vote? Why do we have people voting, you know, 30 percent? We're lucky if we get 40 percent sometimes. Uh, and, and people don't feel that their vote counts. And this has been an age-old problem, but they also feel like there's some kind of shenanigans going on and that their vote isn't really real, like there's something that they don't trust about it. And there's one thing this past election brought that out, whether it was in the presidential race or in my race. But I worked with uh, Representative uh, Garcia, Mike Garcia, a great guy from California, who also won by a very narrow margin, as I did. I won by 109 votes after an exhaustive count and re-canvas of the ballots starting on November 4th and ending on February 11th when I finally got sworn in. So we had this long, exhaustive count that was presided over by a state Supreme Court justice in New York um, and really was just trying to get to the bottom of everything and, and the problems that we, uh, that we saw in this election because of so many awkward uh, and, and um, inappropriate type of rules that were changed at the last minute in light of the pandemic in some cases, but I think in some cases the Democrats and Andrew Cuomo in New York took advantage of, of uh, the crisis and created an online database, for example, that did not have signature verification. That's something that's required by New York's Constitution, um, allowed third parties to harvest 
and and use that information to be able to bring voters to the polls, you know, without having a real, you know, integrity, as, as we say, like people really knowing if the, that person actually voted. We had a, a an entire county, uh, their computer system got hacked. They were down during the entire election, election cycle from early voting to absentee ballots all the way past election day until they were finally up and running, which impacted the ability of getting good numbers, Remember, the Dominion voting machines are computer-generated. They are not the mechanical voting machines that we had before when we had before the uh, Help America Vote Act required us to go to these electronic voting machines. So a lot of those things happened. Uh, we had ballots found on shelves. We had a pandemic where you know huge numbers of people were turning in absentee ballots that, again, were harvested in some cases, but also people were concerned about going to the polls uh, because of the COVID virus. And, you know, we, we didn't have a way for the the uh, boards of election to respond to those issues. We didn't have the resources, which created chaos. And this chaos caused a lot of uncertainty. Now the uncertainty led to a very long count in my race. And a lot of people don't feel like their vote counts. A lot of people think people are cheating. We want to make sure that we preserve and protect the integrity of our of our elections and make sure that they're transparent they're fair, they're private. It's like a primary goal of every state, ele- every state election law is to make sure that we get to vo- vote privately. We don't have, you know, some communist dictator looking over our shoulder or marking our ballots and knowing how we voted so that we have to be worried about uh, what being in jeopardy for some reason for not voting for this, you know, dictatorial leader. We have that sacred right to vote and we want to figure out a way to make sure people realize your vote does count. We need everyone to participate in this republic, and we need everyone to understand that self-governing is better than the authoritarian uh, alternative that the Democrats are proposing that would be codified under their signature legislation known as H.R. 1. Uh, So that's what the Election Integrity Caucus is about. We want to educate the American people about the importance and sacredness of their vote. We also want to advocate nationwide to make sure that we strengthen security, stop the vote trafficking that's going on. I call vote harvesting vote trafficking. Let's call it what it is. It's wrong. It's illegal. And let's safeguard elections. And then let's make sure that we legislate and protect each of those laws that preserves our right in the, at the ballot box and restore the confidence that the voters need in our process. And that's the main goal that we are, we, are, we just launched it last week. Uh, we have almost 50 members now um, on the Republican side. We're hoping a Democrat will join us because this affects everyone, Republicans, Democrats, independents, or whatever party you may be in. This affects everyone, and we want everyone to feel secure about elections regardless of party. And I'm glad you brought up the, the state side of this because you just mentioned H.R. 1, which would be a federal piece of legislation that would be sweeping, that would supersede a lot of what states want to do on their own. Why do you think it's important for states to determine on their own what they think their voting system and law should should be like? Why not have a standardized standardized system? Well, what H.R. 1 is, is uh, not about uh, fairness and integrity. It's about a federal takeover of our election system, and it's a just a raw power grab by Nancy Pelosi and the House Democrats. So what are they doing? They are, H.R. 1 is the first piece of legislation that they're putting out. It's their signature piece of legislation. They didn't put out the Green New Deal, infrastructure, uh, any other, you know, this is the number one piece of legislation they want to do. Because when you get power first, you can do everything else after that. And so people need to understand that's what it's about. 
But what's really critically important about this and why it's so important to preserve our federalism is that the Tenth Amendment and our Constitution leaves this obligation to our states, and our states can best reach each of the people in their communities and make sure that, it's, that they provide the election integrity they need. But also H.R. 1 is dangerous in that it, it requires a partisanship. It, instead of a bar part, bipartisan or a nonpartisan look at you know, election law, whoever's in charge in Washington controls everything in elections. You no longer have this concept of bipartisanship. You hear everybody throw the word around, but that's not the case with H.R. 1. It would make it completely partisan. It would undermine states. Uh, it would require the taxpayers actually to pay for elections, uh, which we know, how, if you want to know about election integrity and how well it goes for taxpayers, uh, funding the bill for all these politicians across the nation, which would be just a massive out, outlay of taxpayer money, just look at New York City if you want to know about integrity in elections. There's huge problems there, and the taxpayers foot the bill for most of it. Uh, so that's you know one of the big problems. Another thing it does, which really undermines integrity, is it bans, and I'm not talking about it actually bans voter ID. So you can't go in and prove that you are who you are. So if somebody walks in and decides and, and brings in an ID and says, you know, I'm John Smith and I want to vote for John Smith, you know, you come in to vote and they're going to be, sorry, John Smith's already been in here. And I'm like, well, I claim I'm John Smith. You know, there's no way to prove that, you know, somebody isn't cheating or being unfair. And I, and I think people, you know, have great access to voter IDs right now. Most Americans uh, actually, when polled, support voter ID. You know, the, the Democrats want to tell you we want to suppress the vote. That's entirely untrue. There's nothing more important, as I said at the top of the, this, um, this podcast, is that we want to make sure every American votes. We think it's sacred. We think it's part of your, your obligation as a citizen to go out and express your vote. It's the best thing that you can do to preserve a self-governing republic, and that's what we are. And H.R. 1, where is it in the process right now? You, you mentioned that this is what they push forward even ahead of infrastructure and a Green New Deal and anything like that. Where is it in the process and how concerned should Americans be that this could actually pass, not just the House, but the Senate and that President Biden could sign it? Well, this is very concerning because it has passed the House, all but one Democrat, uh, and I'm not sure the reason he didn't vote for it, but when someone tells you they don't care about power, they care about bipartisanship on the Democratic side, or they want to be a moderate, every Democrat voted for this highly partisan bill, except one, and it has already passed the state or the uh, the Congress, and it is now headed to the Senate, and they're debating it and looking at voting for it. Uh, you know, we got to hang on, hope that Joe Manchin, uh, Senator Manchin, doesn't. Uh, go down this path. He's indicated he's not, which means that we can hopefully escape this um, escape this uh, terrible change in our law and really the change in the country altogether, violating every aspect of of our election law and our constitutional principles. Uh, there are alternatives that the Senate is looking at that might, may get sent back to uh, the House. We haven't seen the full uh, text of those yet. Uh, I'm sure it's not going to be good, but I'm look, this is a power grab of epic proportions. They are trying to take elections forever. They're even preventing states and other jurisdictions from from verifying that someone may have voted twice in an election. And as I indicated before, we want everyone to vote, but we want everyone to vote in every election, but just once. We don't want people voting multiple times. We don't want people who are not eligible to vote to vote. 
uh, we want to make sure that process is safe and secure and that, you know, that's how we get people to vote is by thinking and knowing that they have uh, integrity and that we're safeguarding the ballot box. And not too long ago, there was, of course, the huge uh, uproar and media coverage of the Georgia election law. And I saw some of the hyperbolic language used against that and some of the falsehoods spread about the Georgian election law, unlike anything I think I've seen before. Um, the claim that this was worse than Jim Crow laws, so the racist claims that were being thrown at it. What have you seen, especially in your role on this caucus, as far as the push to undermine any type of states that want to secure elections and legislation that multiple states are looking at now? Well, look, the Democrats are engaging in what I call election election integrity suppression. They're trying to suppress any ability to make to provide election integrity to ensure that we have safeguards in place. Uh, and the Georgia law actually is of all. It, it, this is incredible. The Georgia law is actually less restrictive than the New York law, which is one of the most liberal of all in the country. Uh, interesting, though, New York's constitution actually requires a signature match, which is a form of ID back before it was it was passed originally uh, before that. But, you know, a signature match, an ID, some way to know that one person voted, you know, and, and that person doesn't get to vote again. In my race, in that really long, complicated race, we did actually have people who attempted to vote twice. We also had people that uh, submitted uh, absentee ballots who had been deceased earlier in the year, as, as far back as uh, April and May, and, and uh, those ballots, thankfully, were recovered and, dis- and uh, rejected by the boards of elections. So we have to emphasize, we want every legal vote to count, and that's exactly what we're trying to do, is make sure that that happens, every legal vote. Every person gets one vote in each election, and uh, that's what, what's so comp- what so we want to really emphasize. The attempts to suppress... The ability to make free and fair elections is really what the Democrats are trying to do to, to sort of hoodwink people into thinking H.R. 1 is the answer. I want to talk a little bit about what the solution is, especially in light of what COVID did open up in voting in, in 2020, and that is this idea of mail-in balloting. We were used to absentee ballots for so many years, um, especially for military or people who couldn't leave their homes or were ill. What is your perspective on mail-in balloting? Do you think that that's something that can be can remain expanded beyond just the typical absentee ballot? But how do we keep it safe and secure and making sure it is just one person who says it that they are the person they say they are and they only vote once? Yes, it's it's very difficult with no excuse uh, mail-in ballots, which is what causes a lot of the problems. And this is going to be particularly an acute problem if they ban voter ID and in some states. Uh, they don't have um, voter ID required, which is actually New York. So there's no way to prove who's who's actually filling out that ballot and sending it in. There's no way to match it up if you don't have voter ID or a signature match. You don't know who's what third party is delivering that ballot to the ballot box. You know, there's a, a real lack of controls on that. One of the issues that you know, we encountered in our race, and for example, in New York's 22nd District, we have 11 colleges and students are allowed to vote. Once they register at the P.O. box, for example, at Binghamton University, which is in my district, a great, a great uh, SUNY system college that, you know, has got a wonderful curriculum. But those students in their four years at Binghamton, they can register to vote in our community. And once they leave and they don't change, uh, they don't purge uh, their ballot or their, their, um, their application, or even if they re-register in another jurisdiction, 
there's no way that we know if they're going to be submitting a ballot and they're able to actually send a ballot in from just about anywhere and to vote in that election. And who's to know if they voted in another election, say in their new jurisdiction where they voted. So there's no way for jurisdictions to work with each other and to coordinate these mail-in ballots. And, and that's why the issue with drop boxes is also interesting is if you can just drop a ballot into a box, you know, without having some timeliness, you know, the problem is at some point election day has to begin and end. And, you know, I, the reason I say that is one of the most important aspects of my election that people should understand is at the end, we found out that there were 2,400 people who submitted applications to become registered voters on time. Uh, we know within the time frame to be eligible to vote in the November 3rd election. Because the Board of Elections had so many requests, they weren't able to actually register those voters. The judge thought that was unfair because they did their applications on time. It turned out nearly 400 people submitted ballots, even though that there was, you know, they got a provisional ballot because it did not show that they, um, their ballots were, um, you know, that, that they were registered voters. And the judge actually required the Board of Elections in January and February of 2021 to register those voters based on the application to verify that they are 18 years old, that they are citizens eligible to vote, that they don't appear on the felony rolls, which would make them ineligible. And those votes were counted in the November 3rd election. That actually pulled me ahead by almost 100 more votes when the judge actually did that. But that's how far this judge was willing to go he didn't stop at some procedural gate. We were actually doing this in the, in the next year. And so, you know, kudos to the judge for actually having the diligence to make this happen. But we don't want this to happen again in any other race. We don't want our boards of elections and our, and our groups and our commissioners to be so overwhelmed that they can't even get ballots uploaded, or I mean applications uploaded. So that's why it's so important that we give them the resources. We ensure election integrity. And, you know, one thing we can do is standardize some of the languages, either a guideline or a model code that we could put out on how elections should be run and conducted, which are the safest and fairest ways. That's among the many missions that we're working on uh, with Representative Garcia uh, on this and the many members of our caucus who are all contributing um, their input and their issues uh, as well. And not to mention, we'll be doing roundtables that are virtual on the perils and pitfalls of H.R. 1. Uh, we're doing roundtables on the merits of voter ID. We're bringing in experts from all around the country to talk about how to improve election integrity. And uh, these are key issues. And these are things that, you know, we think the public should know. And just moving beyond this, before we let you go, we have a lot of people who listen to this podcast that are concerned about the direction of the country. They've seen even most recently gas prices going up. They have seen violence in uh, Israel. They are talking about whether or not they can trust the CDC. They're seeing the potential of inflation. The market is seems a little bit insecure at this time. You all are facing a lot on Capitol Hill. What has it been like in the Biden administration in his first a little over 100 days now, what has it been to fight against some of these policies that we see coming out? Well, Beverly, I thought, I hope they don't destroy this country in four years. They may be destroying it in four months. Um, we have, as you, as you just highlighted, there are so many major issues happening in the country. I, I've spent the entire weekend in my district and people are very concerned. I hear from constituents every day that are very concerned about 
all of those things you cited, the constant violence in, in Israel, the market potentially uh, tanking, inflation on the rise, uh, dealing with this gas crisis, the energy crisis because of the shutdown of, of, of so many of our, of our alternative energy sources, including natural gas and others that are abundant in New York State. And, and around the country, and this focus on the Green New Deal, uh, you know, with a rather far left aspect of it as opposed to a more moderate uh, view of it. And then there's, again, the crisis on the border. I toured the, the southern border myself and saw, my, you know, the horrific human trafficking that's handling there, being happening there. And, you know, I'm concerned. You know, Kamala Harris was talking about the Space Force and, and what we'll be doing in space. But, I mean, I'm worried, is she going to go to the moon before she actually goes to the southern border to see what's happening? I don't know how many days it's been since she's been appointed in this task force. But I saw children being trafficked and being brought across the border in overcrowded detention centers and children who were being shipped on planes when I got to the airport in El Paso to other parts of the country. And I also witnessed in my own district uh, there are letters being sent to people who are government employees asking them to foster children from these from the border, you know, and they would be given bonuses and, and you know, additional taxpayer money to incentivize them to do that. You know, we are in the, heading in the wrong direction. You know, a lot of this was a knee-jerk reaction by, by uh, President Biden. Everything that Donald Trump did, he's trying to undo. And I'm very concerned that that, that knee-jerk reaction isn't looking at the policy uh, they may not like Donald Trump, but some of the policies are really good. In fact, I support the tax cuts, which brought on our, our great economy that we have now. I supported you know, cutting down needless regulations. We supported un- unleashing our energy and our entrepreneurism. You know, signing the USMCA and working with our biggest trading partner in, in Canada and making that better for the United States and better for our workers, focusing on the workers in my community, you know, where I live, is where the Industrial Revolution started when they first put the first shovel in the ground, uh, creating the Erie Canal, you know, back in the 1800s. And, and we've lost so much of that. IBM was founded in my district. Oneida, uh, you see here about the Oneida Silver and Oneida China and all that, all founded in my district. Most of those, uh, those jobs are gone. We've got to bring the jobs back. We've got to bring this country back. We have to talk about you know, preserving our history, but moving forward and being better than we are now in the future. And people are, I've never seen anything like it in my lifetime. And I get that feeling from people all around the nation. We're worried about our security. It breaks my heart to see what's happening in Israel. And I'm concerned that, that, you know, we're going to see this erupting all over the country as our president and the Democrats keep projecting weakness we need to be strong economically and we need to be strong diplomatically in order to preserve what we have as Americans. And that's why we're so thankful that there are wonderful members of Congress fighting the good fight like you on Capitol Hill. Congresswoman Tenney from the great state of New York, thank you so much for all you are doing and for joining us on She Thinks today. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be on She Thinks. I appreciate it. And thank you for joining us. Before you go, Independent Women's Forum does want you to know that we rely on the generosity of supporters like you. And investment in IWF fuels our efforts to enhance freedom, opportunity, and well-being for all Americans. Please consider making a small donation to IWF by visiting iwf.org backslash donate. That is iwf.org backslash donate. And last, if you enjoyed this episode of She Thinks, do leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. It does help. Also, we'd love it if you shared this episode and let your friends know where they can find more She Thinks episodes. From all of us here at Independent Women's Forum, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.